It's great to be here. Of course, we, we came a couple weeks ago, and uh, just to check it out and be able to worship with you. And for those of you that are new, I'm new as well with you. And uh, actually, in a lot of the churches, the idea to have you stand up is that we're all from somewhere else. And we actually like to know where other people come from uh, because it just helps make a connection because we're just passing through this city as well. So uh, welcome to everyone. And as we, uh, as we look this morning uh, into God's Word, what I wanted to do, I, I want to give a big picture. What is God doing in the world today? And then I want to talk about what are some of the things that are going on in our context right here in the UAE that are totally new. And then from that, I want to go into the Word to talk about what is our role in all of this. Because our, our God has set it up that we have become part of His family. And in doing that, He wants to partner with us to accomplish His mission. And so I want to just take a quick tour around the world a little bit. What is God doing? Let's go to the next slide. Let's look at some, some regions of the world. The first region we want to look at up here is going to be China. Now, these are general figures, but let's get in a sense. It's been 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus Christ was here. But when we look at China, 1950, they estimate there's a million believers. Today, they're talking about 100 plus million believers. 35,000 new believers a day. Just, just a few months ago, back in March, I was at the Chinese Evangelical Seminary in Taiwan, just talking about missions and listening to their vision, the vision that the Chinese people have to bring the gospel back through regions across Central Asia, the Middle East, and other places around the world. It's on the hearts of our Chinese brothers and sisters and God is raising them up in this day. And one of the amazing things that's happening just in terms of the economy is the Chinese government now has put forward a program that is kind of like a return to the Silk Road, where they're going to be investing billions and billions and billions of dollars to go back through the old trade routes that lead actually through the Middle East and all the way back into Europe. And so when the Chinese government is saying we're going to be investing in sending uh, companies into all these places, the Christians are saying, and we're going to go too. And we're going to go along, we're going to get these jobs, we're going to move into these places, and we're going to be a light in some of the darkest places in the world. If we look at the next region, we look at uh, what's been going on in Africa in around 1900, 3% Christian. Today, sub-Saharan Africa, 50% Christian. And when you look at the church in Nigeria, brothers and sisters, it's huge. And it's strong. When you look at the church in South Africa, or you look at the church in Kenya, and how God has been awakening the, the brothers and sisters there to where it is on their hearts, many of the churches in Africa are saying, we are taking on the responsibility of Africa. But then there's also many people who in Africa are saying, and not just Africa. I know we've worked closely with the Nigerian Evangelical Missions Association, and their goal is to send 50,000 missionaries up through North Africa and out through the Middle East and into Central Asia. That's the Nigerians. 
So if we go on and we look at Latin America, what's been going on? 1900, there was about 50,000 Protestants. 1980, 20 million. In 2000, 100 million, and the numbers have been growing. And you look at countries like Brazil, and the church is just phenomenal in terms of its growth. And the Brazilians are starting to send people literally around the world, not just to South America. Now, do you see the trend? This is all happening very quickly in terms of God's timeline. We are actually living right now in the greatest harvest that Christianity has ever seen around the world. So we move on and we look at uh, Korea. Uh, 1900, zero churches. You know, the first missionaries that went to Korea, do you know they didn't even make it ashore? They died in the boats as they were coming in. And yet today, over 30%, if you go through Seoul, Korea at night, it's incredible because everywhere you look on tops of the buildings, there's crosses, red crosses all lit up because there's just so many churches. And of course, the Koreans have been moving. One of the, the phenomenons of the last 50 years is Koreans literally going around the world. And the Koreans giving to the rest of us in Christianity things like early morning prayer times, <laughs> like really early morning prayer times. And uh, they have a really nice system. They have a little bell. So they'll go and they pray and they pray and then they have a little ding, 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 ding. Then everyone stops. You get more information. Then they pray and then ding, 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 ding. It's quite nice. The Koreans. Look at this. Literally around the world in our day, God, through the Holy Spirit, is awakening his church. So when we look also... Uh, at these statistics, it's huge. 100,000 new Christians every day, 4,500 new churches. And even this information is old. But also, when we look at this, this next slide, uh, this book was just produced a couple years ago by David Garrison, A Wind in the House of Islam. And it's how God is moving amongst the Muslims. And what he pre presents in this book, in this next slide, is he says that in the last... 20 years, there's been 70 different movements of Muslims to Christ across 29 nations. Now, this is how he defines a movement. A movement is either 100 new churches or 1,000 baptisms. But I want you to look at the, the, the pattern of it. From 632 AD to 1980, there's only two movements recorded in history that we know of. Maybe there were more, but that's what we know of. From 1980 to 2000, there were 11. And from 2000 to 2012, there were 69 movements. Do you see the momentum? The momentum of God's gospel going out, hearts being changed. If you go on YouTube right now, you can say, Give me a testimony of a Saudi who knows Jesus, and you will have a video. Give me a Yemeni who knows Jesus, and there will be a video. Give me a Somali who knows Jesus, and you'll have a video. Because God is changing hearts in these days. So when we look at our context a little bit, uh, this next picture... This is a group of mostly bishops. It is the Gulf Churches Fellowship. 
And the bishops represent the, uh, basically the gulf. And so when you look at some of these people in the far, and sitting down in the far left, that's the Protestant church from Oman. Next to him is the Anglican bishop. Next to him is uh, Archbishop Makarios from the Greek Orthodox Church. Next to him, Paul Hinder, bishop of the Catholic Church. And it's just incredible. It's almost like church history sitting in the room. But uh, if you go down two more people, you'll see a Kuwaiti. That's Pastor Emmanuel Garib. He's the head of the National Evangelical Church in Kuwait. Did you know that? <laughs> and so two people over, you have the guy in the really cool-looking hood is uh, Bishop Mushrub. He's from the Armenian Orthodox Church. Getting together once a year. And the reason is that if we come as one voice before the government, now obviously we're not going to solve all of our doctrinal differences between these different church traditions or families. But the government doesn't understand that. They look at us as one. And so here in the UAE, there's over one million Christians. So if we go to the government speaking on behalf of a million people, do you think that has a little more clout? It does, doesn't it? And also doing things uh, literally around, around the Gulf. So this has been going on only for a couple years. And so this last January at the yearly meeting, the decision was made, why don't we have a government official come and speak to this group? And so we had uh, Sheikha Lubna, next slide. She agreed to come. And she is the Minister of Tolerance here in the country. She's also the president of Sheikh Zayed University and the idea was that she would come and talk about tolerance in the country, and we would have her as a, like a one- or two-hour slot in our meeting. And then the idea started to grow. And then she said, actually, I'd like to hang out with you guys all day. And then it grew from there. And then they said, actually, you know, here in the UAE, we have the ruins of an ancient Christian monastery out on Surbaniyas Island from about the 6 to 700 AD range. And so then she said, why don't we go there and just have a field trip together? So she took that idea. She went to the crown prince, Muhammad. He said, this is a wonderful idea. I'll pay for it. So this next slide is... Uh, in El Batin VIP airport, that's just downtown in Abu Dhabi. And we had instructed all of the priests, look, when you come, whatever you've got, wear it. <laughs> this needs to be just, just, you know, everything you can put on, just put it on. <laughs> and which is really hard for us evangelicals. We're a little bit odd out on this one. And uh, it, it was really funny watching them go through the metal detectors, if you can imagine, with all this stuff on. So here they are. Here's Sheikh Alub. Now, this is the Coptic priest from uh, Jebel Ali up in, in uh, Dubai. And then th the pastor sitting down is Pastor Joseph Faragala of the Arabic church. This is the man who's been going to Islamic affairs on your behalf to get the permissions to be here. He has been such a blessing to all of us, and especially with you guys here. And then... Uh, 
So this is waiting in the airport. And again, it was funny in this, in this little airport because there's a plane from some dignitaries from Oman came in. And they walk in the airport, and they're expecting to be in the UAE, right? And there's about 24 priests gathering, and they're just kind of like, I think we came to the wrong airport. <laughs> so then uh, this next slide, just a picture going out to the plane that they charted for us. And then this next picture is, uh, this is actually the monastery. And I think it's so important for us to be thankful for the government. And the government wants us as Christians to tell this. They're not ISIS. Those are the people that go around and destroy anything that isn't in their system. And here's the UAE who found Christian artifacts and said, this is fantastic. Let's protect it. Let's allow people to come and visit it. This is actually a very good thing. And so uh, there is Sheikh Alubna in the middle with, with all of the priests uh, gathered around. Um, an amazing thing happened at this point. While we're there, one of, the, one of the priests said, you know, it's probably been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years since there was prayer on this spot. We need to pray. Now, you've got to remember, there's press. There's, they're taking videos. There's, there's all kinds of, of our uh, Arab uh, government people around there. And we gathered into a circle, and we said, let's say the Lord Prayer. We all knew that in our own languages. And I'll tell you what, as we started just to pray that, you could just sense the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. And if you go to, I think it was the national newspaper, and they did uh, little video clips, they actually have us giving that prayer on their website. And so then, after we toured that, we went to a nice hotel, gave us a great lunch, and Sheikh Alubna gave a presentation to us, and then she opened it up. She said, any questions you'd like to ask, you're free to ask. And, and it was a wonderful time of give and take. And then at the end of it, the, this was the time where Bishop Masrab was giving to her a gift. What do you give a sheikha? You know, it's like... And so we decided, have you seen those plates, ceramic plates, that have the Lord's Prayer written in Arabic on them? We thought, I bet she doesn't have one of those. Let's get her that. And, you know, it was so special because we didn't know that the Lord's Prayer would be so powerful out at the site. And so here at that meeting, we gave her this. And then if you see uh, uh, the, the lady standing on the right, Sonia, she's working up at Fellowship of the Emirates up in Dubai. And after we delivered that to her, we said, you know what? We, as Christian leaders, would just like to pray for you. And so she just came up and put her hand on her shoulder and just started to ask God's blessing on her, on this country, on the government. And it was just, again, it was just one of those special moments and a good connection between the Muslim government and us as Christians to say, you know what? We actually like one another. We can be in the same room. We can do things together. And then I found out just a couple weeks uh, after this, Sonia, uh, she calls me, and she said, we need to get another plate. I said, why? And she said she liked it so much, she took that plate, the Lord's Prayer, to Sheikh Mohammed and gave it to him. And so she doesn't have hers, and she asked if we could get another one for her. <laughs> so 
There's some things that are going on, isn't there? If we look at the uh, next slide, uh, the important thing, I think, is that when these events happen and it gets into the press, then the people in Oman and the people in Bahrain and, and Qatar, Saudi, Kuwait, they're also looking at it. And as we see the freedom and the relationship grow here, it, it encourages freedom and relationships to grow with the government in those other places. And then uh, next slide. Uh, I think you're all aware that there's been some good books that have been written in the last five or six years. This is the history of Christians in the UAE. This was printed here by Motivate Publishing in the UAE. And then uh, the next book is Jesus of Arabia. Uh, again, both of these books were uh, written by uh, Reverend Andy at the Anglican Church there. And uh, so here is this book. Again, a tremendous opportunity to talk about who Jesus is in the cultural context of here. Now, I love the title, Jesus of Arabia. And you, you probably wonder, well, where did the title come from? Well, the title came from, next slide, uh, it actually came from Sheikh Nahyan, who wrote the introduction to the book and said, what we should really call this is Jesus of Arabia. And he has been so kind to so many people and different religions and also to, uh, to us as Christians in this country. So there is something going on in this land that we have not seen for many, 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 many years, if ever. Now, maybe some of you, in reading the newspaper back on June 15th, there was a, a mosque name change. Did you catch that? And uh, you, you, just, you just have to shake your head a little bit. So the mosque that is next to St. Andrew's Church, next to St. Joseph's Catholic Church, this mosque, it has four minarets. If you see a mosque with four minarets in this country, it means uh, that the royal family has uh, made it. And so this one was from uh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed. And uh, he said, in light of the situation and where this mosque is, we're going to change the name. So it's not his name anymore. They put it, Mary, the mother of Jesus Mosque. And so that's the official name. And it was in the newspapers. It was on television. And, uh, and I, so it gets a little weird when you think you've got St. Joseph's and you've got, you know, St. Mary's as the mosque. And it's just like, I don't know. It just, it's just new, isn't it? It's new. And then just a few weeks after that, we got called by the CID, and they have a desire to work more closely with the churches. So Brigadier Rashid, who is the head of the CID, invited about 20 uh, priests to go over to the CID, put on a beautiful little breakfast for us, talked about their program, and he said, how can we work together? We know that you guys in the churches, if there is someone who has had a problem, they come to you. Maybe it's a maid who's been abused, or maybe there's been human trafficking, or all those kind of things. He says, we can help. We can help. And if it means taking someone to court, or if it means helping people get repatriated back to their home countries, whatever that is, we can, we can work on that. And, and literally, just last week, I sent a, uh, an email to them saying, here's a situation. Uh, this Filipina girl, her passport's held by her boss. 
to the point that she has no money, she hasn't been paid, and she's over date in this country. How can we help? They're asking for this. And Brigadier Rashid has said, I want us to be meeting at least two to three times a year like this. And then he said, next time you come, we'll give you a tour of the building. And he says, yeah, down in the basement, we have a shooting range. We can all go shoot. <laughs> and I just had this picture of all these priests in their black robes, you know. <laughs> anyway, wild. Okay, why am I sharing all this? I, I want to share it because we're living in different days. And as we live in different days, you and I, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. And God is going to be partnering with us to accomplish his purposes. One of my old professors, his name is Bruce Wilkinson. And he writes in his, in his book, you were born for this. And it's talking about working together with God in miraculous ways. And he was in a meeting of about 80 people. It wasn't a church service. It was more like a seminar of uh, Christian leaders, pastors. And he gets up and he's starting to talk. And as he starts to talk, he gets a spiritual nudge. Have you ever had a spiritual nudge where something kind of just, just hits you like, ah, I should do this, or oh, I should talk to somebody. Have you ever had that? He gets that little nudge. And basically, it is, the nudge is, there's a person just sitting right over here. He has a need. So you know what he does? He stops his talk. He walks down to the person. He says, hi, my name is Bruce. The guy's name was Owen. And he said, I'm just wondering if there's any way, anything going on in your life, and can, we, can I help you somehow? And you can imagine if that happened in the middle of a meeting like this one, the guy was totally surprised. Uh, no, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. He says, sure, yeah. Yeah, no, nothing's wrong. So Bruce comes back up, gets here, gets his notes going, and kind of going, okay, God, that was kind of weird. And he starts talking again. Guess what happens? The nudge comes again. That same guy. So Bruce walks down, he grabs a chair from the front row, pulls it up to Owen, he sits down, he says, Owen, please don't be offended, but you're not telling me the truth. What's going on? You could hear a pin drop in the room. And Owen said, how did you know? Bruce responded, I didn't know. God knows. God wants to do something for you. And so as they explored what was going on, this man, Owen, he said, well, actually, I'm quitting the ministry after this meeting. I've called my wife. I've told her I'm done. I'm finished. I can't do this anymore. And after I leave this meeting, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And so they just said, well, what has led you to this? And he said, I used to be a successful businessman. And uh, ever since we came into the ministry, uh, 
we just can't make it financially. And uh, we're in debt. We've maxed out our credit cards. We've mortgaged our house. Uh, I have $16,000 of debt right now. I can't go on. And then Bruce just asked him, he said, can I just, can you tell me, when God called you from being a businessman to being in that full-time ministry, was that really from God? And he said, yes, absolutely, this was God's calling. He said, can I ask you one more thing? Did God call you to leave the ministry? And he said, no. And he just said, do you really want to leave the ministry if God has not called you to leave? He says, but what can I do? He said, no, I understand that. Do you want to leave? And at that point, it was just like, again, the Holy Spirit ministering in that room, and this man, just through tears, just said, no. If God doesn't call me to leave, I can't leave. I have to stay. Yeah, I will. I will stay. I will stay in the ministry. So at that point, they said, let's just pray. And, and some men gathered around in just this incredible time of prayer for him and this rededication of his life. And after that prayer time, and they're going back to their seats and they're sitting down. And there's one man that said, wait a minute, this isn't right. He's $16,000 in debt. And so everyone just started opening up their wallets, and they were just walking over to Owen and blessing him with money. And in no time at all, he had over $16,000. God knows the needs that individuals have. And God wants to partner with us to see those needs being met. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 exactly on this topic. So in Acts chapter 8 and starting in verse 26, as we go through this passage, that we will be looking at the context and glean some things that will help us. Okay, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now that's quite a nudge. Actually, it's more than a nudge, isn't it? It's a command given by an angel. It's pretty, pretty clear. But you know what caught my attention here? Was that he says, it's a road down in a deserted place, out in the desert. I thought, why is that even said? And I went back to look at the beginning of, of chapter 8. And there was actually a huge revival taking place. Philip, along with many other people, had been um, impacted by the persecution happening in Jerusalem. And they fled Jerusalem, and they started going all over Judea and all over Samaria. And he ended up in Samaria. And so it says this in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Now there were those scattered, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. They're having a people movement. They're having an incredible revival. There are power encounters happening. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. Think about it. If that was going on here, and within a span of a few weeks, we didn't have 100 or 200, but we were talking about 500, 1,000, 2,000 people. God's power demonstrated people coming to faith. And then God says, stop what you're doing and go out to the desert road down on the way to Lewa and just sit there and wait. You know, our first reaction is, wait a minute, there is so much happening here. God is doing so much here. These people need to be ministered to here. But God is the one who is in charge of the big picture, isn't he? And so he's saying to the guy who started the revival, I need you somewhere else. And to Philip's credit, it just says that uh, he rose and he went. And I like that. That is one of the first things for us to take in. That God, when he tells us to do something, it may not make sense to us. It may even go against what we're seeing happening around us. But we take that, that uh, obedient step and we move. So, verse 27. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And now we begin to understand. God in his sovereignty has taken a God-fearing man from Ethiopia and in his perfect timing took that long journey to Jerusalem where he could worship. And while he's in Jerusalem, he's heard what has happened. He has heard about uh, Jesus. He's heard about the disruption and all that was going on. And he's worshiped. And now he's coming on his way home and at exactly the right moment, he meets Philip. And you see the sovereign hand of God over this man and over Philip to accomplish his purposes. And we know now that this man, who's a powerful official from Ethiopia, will impact all of Ethiopia. But Philip doesn't know that. All Philip knew from the very beginning was go to the desert. <laughs> go down to this desert road, okay? So now that he's down on the desert road, the Holy Spirit gives him the next piece of information. This is verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. You know, I would like it if God was talking to me and said, Kevin, let me explain the whole picture to you. So you don't have to go step by step by step. You know, I would like to know from the beginning, this is going to help Africa come to know Jesus. 
But what does God do? He gives one little step and says, just be obedient to that. And then now he gives the next piece of information. He said, there's a chariot, go up to that. And I think here is a a point where there is a risk factor involved. Just like Bruce Wilkinson, when he took a risk to go down to talk with this man where he had the nudge. Here was a point where Philip, because this is a rich official with an entourage. There's a lot of people. There's probably soldiers with him. There's, and here he is, a simple person. In terms of class and authority, they're nowhere in the same categories. And again, all the Spirit says is just go over by that chariot. So he's taking a risk to do that out of his comfort zone. And that's what he does. He goes over to the chariot. So Philip, verse 30, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Isn't that an interesting response? Oftentimes the people that we will meet, what do they need? They need someone to help point them to Jesus, to get them from where they are to focusing on who God is and God's relationship with them. And he invited Philip to come up, sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, amazing, Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And it's beautiful the way that we have this picture that that Philip takes this guy exactly right where he is. What is going on in the context of his life and is able then from there to point to who Jesus is. And in one way it was pretty easy because God has already arranged that this man is reading Isaiah 53. And Philip just probably said to him, can we back up and read just a couple verses before the, the ones you were just reading? So that would be Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. And this is what they say. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Philip took that verse said, let me explain who that is. That 
is the Lord Jesus Christ that you just heard about when you were in Jerusalem. And as he explained to him the good news, the gospel message, how he talked about in the beginning, God designed us to be in relationship and fellowship with him. When rebellion came into our hearts, sin came into our hearts, that relationship was severed. It was broken. It was broken because we are choosing to do things that miss the mark of the holiness of God. And so here we have God who is holy, righteous, just, and good. And then we have us, all of us, who actually have done things that demands the justice of God. Because if God is holy and if God is just, he must punish sin. There's no other way. If he doesn't, he is not just. He is not holy. But as he is holy and righteous and just, he also is loving and forgiving and merciful and gracious. And he's both. And so what God did is he took, as just described in Isaiah 53... He took all of your sin, all of my sin, and rather than putting his wrath on us and giving us what we deserve, through his grace and love, he put the wrath on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. And through that, our sins are forgiven. It's like they've been wiped away. But not only has that wiped away our sins, but it has allowed us to come back into the presence of the living God and be in relationship with the living God, to be restored the way we were designed to be from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, in close fellowship with the living God. And when you look at the book of Revelation, what does it talk about? It talks about in heaven, where will we be? We will be with God again face to face. The relationship totally is restored at that point. And so Philip has explained to him the good news. He has taken the scriptures that this man already believes and has told him that it is Jesus who accomplished that. And that what he needed to do was to repent of the sins that he's committed, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized. All of that while they're going around on this crankety little chariot or wagon or, or whatever they had. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus and the Ethiopian got it verse 36 and as they were going along the road they came to some water the eunuch said see here is water what presents, prevents me from being baptized nothing they've gone through it they've talked it over he's made his choice he has made his commitment and so he commanded the chariot to stop 
They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Interesting. Almighty God had brought Philip to do something, and he did it. And he said, well, Philip, I have now another job for you. And he moved him on. The result for the Ethiopian, he said that he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he went on to preach. You know, there's such incredible comparisons between what was going on in Samaria and what happened in this relationship with the Ethiopian. And I think for us, as we think about, here was this incredible case study God has given to us of how he works, how he knows that big picture, and he will bring people into our lives, and how he wants us to have our radar up and be ready that when he gives us a nudge, because he's not going to tell us, go to everybody we see, but there's going to be those times where God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to nudge you to say, yeah, that one. And he's only going to give you this much information. (laughs) And you go, and then maybe you'll get a little more, and you go, and a little more, until you see what God wants to accomplish. And he does it differently. In Samaria, it was a huge city, and it was a huge revival. With the Ethiopian, it was one man in the middle of the desert. In Samaria, there was the preaching of the word, and then there was all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. With the Ethiopian, it was simply the word, and he took it all in. We don't put God in a box. He can do it any way he wants to. But the issue for us is partnering with him. The issue from our side, God is already moving around the world. God is bringing and drawing people to himself. There's huge spiritual momentum. And God is saying to his children, us, I've designed it that I use you. I use you. A couple weeks ago, Teresa was just at her computer, my wife, Teresa, and she was just typing away, and she had a nudge, just a simple nudge of some friends of ours that we really hadn't heard from for several years. And so she was obedient to the nudge, and she just started writing out a little short little letter to them saying, I'm praying for you and just wondering how you're doing. And immediately, she got an email back. And this is what it said. He said, this is how we're doing. We've been praying for God to help us. And then you sent this out of the blue. We need him to break us out of a very tight spot and a low place. I am so ashamed. 
We used all our money, borrowed thousands, waiting for the promised job to kick off. It's still pending. The shame is debilitating. Can't see this typing through my tears. Broke down yesterday. Going through Romans 7 and 8. Questioning my salvation. Sending this to you because I know you, you won't judge me. Thanks for your prayerful response. One day I think I want to hear how God brought me to your mind. You see, our God knows what's going on in people's lives. And our God knows who his servants are. And our God is bringing those people together. But brothers and sisters, is your radar up? Are you listening? Are you going through your day saying, God, I want to be available for you. Whatever you want me to do, if you want me to give a cup of cold water, whatever that is, Lord, I want to be available for you. And brothers and sisters, when I think of the spiritual environment that we're living in here right now, God is on the move. We have an open door in this place with nationalities from over 200 countries. And we live here. We live here. And God wants to do things in this place. He wants to do it with you and me. You don't need a Bible school degree. You just need to love Jesus and say, Lord, just use me. But you know what? Our Christian and Christian faith gets exciting when on a day-by-day basis we're actually partnering with God and we're actually seeing miracles done by God. And he's surprising us with how he's loving other people. And it could be other Christians that we're touching and helping them to be encouraged or maybe someone who's never heard of this grace, the salvation, and we're the ones that can guide them and point them in that direction. So where are we in terms of that relationship with God to be part of all that he's doing? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible example with Philip. Thank you for the way that he has shown us this case study. Father, thank you for the way that he was obedient. Thank you for the way that he risked. Thank you for the way that you led him every step of the way. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord God, I pray you would increase their faith. Father God, I pray that you would uh, bestow on them an anointing of courage and that they will take risks. And Father God, when you nudge them, may their spiritual uh, ears be open to hear. And may they step out. Lord, we desire to see you glorified. We desire to see people rejoicing like the Samaritans, like the Ethiopian, rejoicing because they met you, because their lives were touched by you. Lord, we want to be all that you have called us to be here in Abu Dhabi in these days for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name.